when you're at that level of desperation, you don't have the energy to make five, six, seven, eight phone calls and tell your story five, six, seven, eight times. So if they can tell Rick that story once and Rick goes, okay, I can help you get connected to where you need to be. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. I love the pink shirt. It's nice to see that that's made such a, a huge comeback. I mean, it was Crockett and Tubbs right in the 80s for years, and it was a, a fashion statement. And now I mean, you wear the pink shirt to raise awareness about, you know, bullying. So, and the fact that you're wearing it the day after, good on you, man. I, mean, I was going above and beyond. Well, he's, just, well, he's just always a day short. Yeah. Yeah. Did you change your clothes from I wore, yesterday? No, I did. I wore it for a bit yesterday and then thought, you know what, today I, I need to be kind to myself today. That's so, right. yeah. you know, and let's start yeah. on that note right there. Uh, be kind to ourselves. Uh, welcome. Thank you once again for uh, joining us from the Plugged In Media Network, Darkness to Life, a podcast on behalf of uh, OCJ, our collective journey. My name is Poncho. Uh, joining us, Rick Armstrong and Damien. How come I can't remember your last name, Damien? Davis. You think I'd be able to remember that? <laughs> it's all good, right? Right. Yeah. And baby, baby uh, steps. And and our guest, somebody that we've all known for, well, I guess. A while, Nothing. depending. No, yeah. some, no, no. Anna, welcome. Hello. Please, I I know it's spelled A N A, but it I pronounce I pronounced it's it wrong. It's Anna. Yeah. Uh, so tell us your last name, what you do, and sure. what's going on. Okay. So I'm um, Anna Schlosser, registered registered provisional psychologist. So um, I have a private practice here in Medicine Hat, actually just down the street, um, where I am a part of a collective of uh, nine psychologists and clinicians. Um, we have a our most recent person is a master's level social worker. So um, we all practice sort of in different areas, um, children all the way up to seniors. Um, some of us specialize in trauma, some specialize in developmental disabilities, parenting. So yeah, we have all kinds of different people you, in there. You know your stuff and, and then some. Before we really get into it, do we or can we get a link to how to get a hold of on on our Facebook page? For sure, on, we on can. The OC yeah, of Facebook course, we page can. is that. Uh, you're my psychologist. You've been my psychologist for years, and I brought this in uh, specifically just to show you. So this is a, a blue folder, and in this folder, um, I, I will call this my own personal Bible of sorts because you have given me so much fantastic information in here in terms of how I continue to cope with positive uh, mental health. This does not leave my bedside. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. You know, and yeah. I actually, this is a new folder because the other one was so used up yeah. from abuse. So, yeah. so thank you for that. <clears throat> good. You, and you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> how does this feel, by the way? Because normally you ask all the questions and yeah, here we are. Yeah, I'm, I'm managing right now. I'm trying to adjust because I'm used to divulging nothing about myself and listening to everyone else. So it's a di it's a different perspective, yeah. Well, and conversely, I mean, I'm used to pouring my heart out to you. And here we are. The, the seats have kind of changed. You and Damien were talking about something already that, I only caught a part of it. Ultimately, well, we all have the same goal. We want to live very healthy and happy lives. And I, right out of the gate, I thought it was incredibly interesting that you kind of both 
have the same goals, but how you get there is is somewhat a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so so what's your means, Damien? What's well, what's your go to? What's you know what's what's your book? What what's your foundation of positive mental health? Yeah, my my foundation is a twelve step program and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which allowed me to get sober and to stay sober when I truly honestly wanted it. And it is the the foundation with which I built my life. Um, it is the most important thing in my life because without that, for me, I will lose everything again, right? And um, But I've come to an understanding through Anna and, and a conversation we had, I think that was in September, ish mm-hmm. or august somewhere around there just on on meeting people where they're at with specific things so that uh, we can support them and getting to where they need to go right and you literally don't go anywhere without your book i don't it uh, it travels with me everywhere kind of like your folder mine yeah, falls yeah. apart the pages you know it's it's well used because this book it, it isn't a book it's a text and a text is to be studied and uh, i study it often um because new things pop out to me as my perspective changes in life. And that's, that's how I continue to grow. Um, some days I have amazing days and some days I have rough days. Yesterday was extremely rough day for me. Uh, however, I took action and, you know, and I, I, I'm being more today, you know, I'm showing up a little bit differently than I showed up yesterday. And that's inspiring for me. You're honest and you're incredibly vulnerable about your feelings and that takes a a lot of courage and bravery and i think that's a huge role in maintaining uh positive mental health anna so what's your foundation so we heard of of how damien keeps himself grounded and you know the eye on the prize if you will what's your approach of which you have several i'm sure sure yeah um and it it was interesting because when damien um first contacted me last summer to try to collaborate in some way to to help each other in some way <clears throat> with the work that we were doing in the community. Sorry. <clears throat> um, it's okay. It was really interesting because he came in right away. Um, he acknowledged something that no one had really been acknowledging and that I had been trying to acknowledge as well, which was uh, the role of substance abuse and, and that sort of thing and addictions in the crisis that we were experiencing. And so I... Uh, remember him really focusing on abstinence and I sort of just stopped him right away and I said you know if abstinence is your your vehicle I I need to let you know like I'm harm reductionist I I believe wholeheartedly in harm reduction Um, and part of that was just my experience of what I was um, what I've seen in my career um, and and that sort of thing and so but rather than saying, well, sorry, you need to go somewhere else because I don't agree with you, we continued our conversation. I think it took us a couple of minutes each to sort of sit there and go, okay, <laughs> this isn't going right away together on the same page. How do we proceed together having different perspectives about the same thing? And so we were able to have a conversation and then we'd stayed in contact um, the last few months about some different things. and. Um, you know, uh, our collective journey has been able to fill a gap in our community mm. that um, as private practitioners, we were trying to uphold. And eventually we had to step aside and say, no, we need to show that this is a gap. And um, these guys stepped up. And so, but the perspective, again, is an understanding that one way is not the only way. 
And so uh, there's room for everybody's perspective on that. Well, for sure. It's, I mean, mental health isn't like math. I mean, one plus one is always going to be two, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because we all have different issues when it comes to mental health. And that means we all need to find different solutions. And because we're all individuals, we need something a little bit different that works for us. You mentioned harm reduction. What do you mean when you say harm that you, that you work in the field of harm reduction? So um, I used to be a hardcore, you know, therapist that if someone came to me with an addiction issue or that was playing a role in something that they were coming for, I would suggest that they needed to go to addictions and get their treatment um, and get the addictions or the abuse aspect under control first, and then they could come back to um, work with me around, you know, the depression or the anxiety or whatever. But what we know is that most addictions are the result of trauma. Um, but also there's comorbid- comorbidity, which is the inclusion of anxiety and depressive disorders with substance use, abuse, addictions. So what I was seeing is that I would send people to addictions and then I would never see them again. And that concerned me. Because I did feel like I could help them, but because I was expecting them to go through a different doorway and then come back, I started to realize many of these people were only able to walk through one doorway. They, they could only muster the energy or the courage to just face it right there, right then in that moment. And I sent them away. And that didn't sit well with me. So I started to consider what what is the barrier that I've created or that our system has created that I've just been following because that's what I was taught. Mm-hmm. And um, what I realized for me was that I wanted them to know that any doorway they walked through uh, was the right door, but that we could support them through whatever they needed to do. Like I'm not particularly highly trained as an addictions therapist. Um, but I am trained as a trauma therapist and I am trained in harm reduction through um, the Center for Optimal Living out of New York City. So they are the lead standard on harm reduction across North America and actually other countries as well. So it's very current, up-to-date research. Um, and the idea is that any door is the right door. And so harm reduction meaning um, I really need to go where the person is and what they want to stop. And so my agenda doesn't matter in that regard. It's their goals. If they are smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, using um, meth, and they want to stop using meth, it's not up to me to make them stop using, you know, marijuana or okay. alcohol. So we're, we're looking at harm reduction being how can they use safely, safe supply, um, but also how can we support them in making choices about how they want to get well and what we often see is that when they make a choice about one thing and it succeeds then they start to make other choices that also add to their wellness what and that comes down to any choices whether you make good choices or whether you make bad choices it it tends to get that that ball rolling and, Mm -hmm. and hopefully you want it on the good side of things and not on the bad side of things i like the analogy how you said if if it's a door for you please use that door and again because not all doors are going to work for all of the people so mm-hmm. so how do you find out what door works for you because that seems to be a a big issue too i, I mean damien when you were in your darkest of, of darkest days <clears throat> you knew you wanted help you knew you needed to get better how do you how do you start because a lot of times it's hard even though you're suffering to even 
talk about your feelings because a lot of the times you don't even know how you feel. Yeah, I, I, I just knew what was going on inside of me was just, there was this empty hole, like a void inside of my, my soul that just, I couldn't close back up to feel love or happy. Um, and I did, I tried psychologists, I tried counselors, I tried, you know, I went to rehab, I tried a different variety of things and I got something out of those things, um, only when the obsession to drink and drug was removed from me from doing 12 step. Right. So, you know, when I was in rehab, they taught me a lot of amazing things. The counselors that I went to taught me a lot of amazing things. However, I was unable for a decade to put any of those tools into place when the obsession to drink or drug took me over. Right. And I would forget about asking for help or playing the tape forward or, you know, are you, what is it? Halt. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Like all of that would just be gone. And I would be right back where I was drinking and drugging. However, when I had my profound, you know, psychic change because of investing in a 12 step program, I am now able to realize, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? That's why I'm feeling this way. All right, let's eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I can do something. If something's going on in my life, I can ask for help, right? I can utilize all the tools that people like Anna had instilled into me or given to me. But when that obsession was still there for me, there was nothing on this planet that yeah. would stop me from satiating that that obsession until you found the the door that works for you right and it was about not stopping right sure and i think if i look back on my life it was all those seeds that were planted were planted perfectly because people were meeting me where i was at because i don't i can honestly say i don't think i was fully ready until i was fully ready <laughs> and when i was fully ready and i got completely honest and became willing to do whatever it took to take that action to get well yeah that's when everything else just kind of, okay, well, now I remember these things that I was taught from the professionals. Cause Anna has way more schooling on these subjects than I do, but I got a ton of lived experience, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me unique is that I understand that person that's struggling with addictions or some mental health stuff because I've lived in their shoes. I know what that's like to not know what's going on and just be insane, right? Do you find talking, obviously communicating, so Damien and Rick, because you both have your struggles and you continue to struggle, do you find communication has, has been key? I mean, I already know the answer. The answer is yes, but, but I want to hear it from, from your own yeah, hairy lips. For me. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, for me, it's been, it's been such a blessing to, to fall into this circle with, you know, even like this, this little family we've created, even within the OCJ community. Cause it's it you, we can have some real genuine real conversations and you know you know as well as i do when i ask you know how are you doing i expect an honest answer and i'll give you one and if you're not having a good day don't tell me you're having a good day and if you're not let's talk about it and let's like you know i might not have the solution but i'm here to listen and i'm here to support you in whatever you know finding that solution and and vice versa i mean i've reached out to well, with the exception of you, but we're, we're kind of new. Um, you know, the, the, you two guys, you know, we, we've talked about some shit that I'm dealing with and, and we've helped each other work through stuff. And, and those conversations get easier and easier and honest. So this is something that I, I want to ask you in terms of communication. You weren't the first psychologist I spoke with. I, I probably went to three or four 
And when you and I met for the first time, there was that instant connection. I felt very incredibly comfortable speaking with you. So how important is that, that if you are talking to somebody and you don't feel comfortable, it's okay to find somebody that you are comfortable with? Yeah, absolutely. That That is actually probably one of the most, if not the most, more important factor in, a, ther- in, a, um, in a situation like this, because the therapeutic relationship is the catalyst of change. And so what that means is that you, you know, and, and in my intakes with people, I often will say to them that very thing that you have to feel comfortable here because if you're not, then you're not going to open up. And so um, it's okay if it doesn't fit for you or for me. A relationship in any form cannot work if it doesn't work for one person. And so there has to be openness, communication, and honesty about that. Um, in therapy, we often experience what we call transference, where um, either some a client something about the client might be irritating to me and I need to look at that and what's going on within me, not because it's about blame, but what is happening within me that I'm feeling that way or vice versa. um, You know, when we look at parent-child relationships, childhood upbringing, like those dynamics will play out in the therapeutic setting between, you know, a client and the therapist for sure if they project, you know, issues that they've had with their mother or their father or whatever. So the therapeutic relationship is is what we call an alliance. You have to be together in that journey. And I can't hold your hand and run in front of you because you're going to dig your heels in. I have to walk with you. And I can't be too far behind you either because you're going to get frustrated then. So there's something else that I'm, I'm learning here that, okay, so you admit that you need help and you take the steps and you find somebody to talk to. But like anything, it, it just doesn't stop there. You have to be willing to put the work forth. And in, in this case, it's about cooperating for for the greater good. Right. And and I think, you know, one of the things about that is that the goal setting is important. You know, what is your direction that you want to go? Because um, I sort of feel like with relationships, we can always just dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And you can be in therapy never ending. So goal setting is important for some people, depending on the type of therapy they offer. Um, But the reality is, is for a lot of people, um, they will just know that they want to start therapy, but they don't really know where they want it to go. And so sometimes a break is needed. Sometimes people disappear and they come back. Sometimes you never hear from them again. The therapist style is also so important. I'm pretty direct. I'm honest. you know, I, I, I don't really beat around the bush um, because I feel like people are coming to me because they want to get better. Um, but I'm not everybody's cup of tea either. So and that's OK. Uh, it, it's more about then let's connect you with someone that does work better for you. Do, do you find yourself that do you find when when you're helping people, it, is there a, a common denominator in breaking down those communication barriers? You know, um, OK, so Damien, Rick, you can maybe help me try to clarify what I'm speaking about here. The more you talk about your stories, do you find it gets easier and easier to talk about your stories? Do you find it gets easier to share your feelings, even those those hard feelings, those those really rough ones? Yes and no. So, you know, my story doesn't hold any weight over me anymore. You know, my story is for the world. Because I've seen through my experience that by me sharing it, 
I'm opening up that door for somebody else who may have shared something similar so that they can open up the next door for themselves in doing all of the work that I do in 12 step and all the personal development work that I've done. I still have days where I want to close every door and I just want to hide from the world and I don't feel worthy and I don't feel like I matter. And it's tough, you know, cause then I go to beat up like, fuck, I've worked so hard to not be this yet here it is. And I can't listen to my wife who's telling me how much I matter, how much I love. And, you know, then I get to slowly open that door again, realize that I do matter shift and then use that little story as some new experience to share with people to maybe sure. keep allowing them to, to realize that I think what Anna said is like, we're, when she said like, you could continually be in therapy for your whole life. I think that's what it is. You know, I, I have a perception that I need to be perfect and I need to be here. Missing this journey, you know, which is life. Yeah. And I'm going to have ups and downs. And I just have to give myself permission to be like, okay, am I going to sit on my couch and not deal with this or am I going to keep moving forward? So I, I feel like, too, people have to earn the right to hear your story in a way. Um, huh. It comes from trust. You know, Brene Brown talks about this a lot <clears throat> as well. And, um, <clears throat> You know, the right to hear someone's story is about, again, trust and holding space for them. And so just because you go to therapy doesn't mean that the therapist has earned your right to hear that story yet. You pick and choose who you feel in your life is able to hear that story. Can they hold that space for you? And holding space is so important in relationships, all relationships, because it it says, even though I'm uncomfortable, I'm not going to do anything about that so that you don't you don't feel uncomfortable, right? So it's about being able to sit in the mess with someone without doing a damn thing about it. And we don't know how to do that. Yeah. We don't know how to do that very well at all. Honesty's hard, isn't it? I, I, I'm not talking about lying, but I mean, talking about being truly honest with yourself. And I'm, I'm thinking in this case, you don't want to hurt the feelings of those that you love. So do you think they're in, maybe that's a reason why we tend to, suppress our emotions absolutely i think all of our deepest fears is that we won't be loved and accepted everybody's you know we're social creature we thrive off connection and so if we think that something we're about to say about something we've done is going to is going to threaten that connection and sense of belonging then we we will do almost anything to avoid that pain almost anything and most people do so um you know, it's not just about listening to the story, but when someone's telling you something, it's not up to you to relate to them. There's, there's something really interesting about relating to someone's story because then you're making it about you. And so when we hear someone's story and we start to offer suggestions on what they should do, we're not listening. We're trying to fix it. We're trying to make it go away. We're trying to make it better. We're trying to make them not so sad. Hmm. And so we really need to learn to just listen to what they're saying instead of suggesting something or going, oh, yeah, me too. And because usually me too in these cases leads to, but my situation was just a little bit worse than yours, which feels really invalidating. So we have to really learn to listen to what someone's saying without feeling like we need to do or say anything in return. So don't make it about us. I mean, somebody has found that comfort level and as you mentioned that that they feel that 
they've earned the right for, you know, for them to hear your story. So, so don't take advantage of that. Be, be grateful of it. And a lot of the times, yeah, listening is, I think, a huge means to getting better, at least to step in the right direction. Listening is harder than you think, though, isn't it? It's very hard. (laughs) I heard it put this way a couple weeks ago. I'm taking a parenting course right now, and, and it was, we're human beings. We're not human doings. So how do I be with? I don't have to say anything. I just have to be there with you while you're having your experience not trying to solve, not trying to fix, you know, that's, that's me. I want to rescue my kids. I want to make everybody thrive, but then I'm robbing them of that experience so that they can grow. And so now when my kid is, my kids are upset, I just, I just hold them close. I don't say anything, you know, and I just breathe and be with, right. And I think that's a practice that I'm, I'm, I'm really focusing on. Especially if you're closer to them, it's so much harder to do. You can do it for a stranger, right? You can feel empathy and you can hold space for a stranger. But to hold space for the people closest to you, because they also have the capacity to hurt us, just like we have the capacity to hurt them. Hmm. So it's much harder to do with the people that are closest to you. Why do you, and why do you think that is? Because you know your family so much better than, than a stranger? Do you find that there's more acceptance when you're talking to somebody that you don't know as opposed to somebody that you know really well because you know their personality because you know their their good traits because you know their flaws do you think that's why it's easier because you know you won't be judged when you're talking to somebody that doesn't know you right well i'm a therapist (laughs) i sit and listen to people (laughs) i asked them about them i said to you guys earlier yeah I, i i have no problem asking questions but when it comes to me being close to people, that's much harder for me. And it's because of that, I'm, I'm sort of one of those people. I don't need a lot of people in my life, but I'm, I'm pretty loyal to the people that I do have in my life. And, it, and it, you know, it's unreasonable the amount of trust I make these people in my life have to earn <laughs> for me to trust them. So quali- I know it's unreasonable, but I still do it and I'm still working at it. So quality over quantity. Absolutely. In everything, Absolutely. in everything in your life. Yeah. I, guys, Rick Damien, please, if you have something to just lift your hand and, and we'll stop yapping. And- yeah, no, I'm that, what we were just talking about, like it really has me thinking because it is, it's my, it's my family, it's my wife, it's my kids. It's when I go into that, dark corner of you're not worthy they would be better off without you I want to push them away but why do I have all the time in the world for another suffering person but I want to push my family away and I think for me I turn it around a little bit is the the expectations I have on myself are so fucking high that it's hard to live knowing that I'm not meeting those expectations, you know, that perfectionism piece in my life that I have to be perfect for them so that they don't experience the pain that I went through and that unrealistic realization that that's not reality, you know? And if I deny what reality is, which is they're going to grow up and have pain and have happiness and have their experiences. If I deny that reality, I'm going to suffer and I suffer, <laughs> you know, like, and it sounds like because you're being really hard on yourself. A hundred percent. Like I, I, I but, have, but when did that begin? Oh, fuck. How old were you? Did you remember that first showing up? Uh, young, like little, little. So this is what, this is inner child work. 
And I'm not going to go into a whole spiel about that, but inner child work is so important to healing because it changes things, the lens that you look at your problems through from being, oh, I've got an addictions, I've, I've got ADHD, I've got depression, I've got bipolar disorder. It goes from taking those labels away to really understanding why you're functioning the way you're functioning. And it almost always starts in childhood. I think you've got superpowers. That's what I, I mean, the insight, <laughs> right? I mean, wow, you know, within 30, 40 seconds of hearing us speak. And, 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 and I've known that, you know, for, for a long time that there's, there's more layers to this onion than I ever gave credence to. However, six years ago before I got sober, if you would have told me that, I would have said kick rocks and that's right. No fucking way. Right. But on this journey, because I think, you know, mental health, sobriety, life isn't about, you know, an end goal. It's about this path that we're on. And, and that choice I make today to grow and to be introspective and say, okay, you know, if I resist reality, which is I'm angry or that I have these feelings, I'm going to suffer. My suffering is my suffering, you know, but it's comparable to what anybody else is going through. Their suffering is theirs, but I just choose today to kind of look at it and say, okay, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow because I want, I want to live and I want to live. I, I, I was dark yesterday, like repetitive in my head. Like you'd be better off not being here, better off not being here over and over all day. And I'm like, fuck, where is that coming from? How did you pull yourself out of it? I cried. Um, I attempted to push my family away and just like not wanted to be. Um, I prayed, you know, I prayed and I uh, got spiritually connected and I woke up this morning and I chose to do something different. I chose to have a dance party with my kids. I chose to be here and be honest. You a good dancer? Uh, <laughs> <y> yes. <laughs> Are you? Are you? Oh, come on, man. We were listening to EDM in the garage. <laughs> I was thinking about brand new smoke machines and all this stuff, but that, that was, that was 180 shift from where I was yesterday. And that's okay. My expectation on myself, I need to grow. And I think you've, and I think you said, it's okay if I have a bad day. I think you said it's, it, it's okay not to be that that hard on myself. Do you see that a lot on them when when you speak with people and they're just so self-critical of all their decisions and and all of their thoughts? Right. And and you know you said something. I, I think a big piece to that why you were able to be here today and and function better today than you were yesterday, is because you allowed that to happen yesterday. As much as you were sort of pushing away, you also just gave yourself the space and time to feel it. And then you were able to regroup and proceed. And so, you know, we don't, uh, feelings don't go away because we push them away. They just grow bigger. And and all feelings and sh shame, especially, it, it, it thrives in secrecy. So if you don't tell anyone, then it just grows. And then you have more pressure on yourself to pretend to be a certain way. Whereas if you just sort of like put it out there and you're like, yeah, this, this is where I'm at, then at least it has the ability for the tension to, to drop because there's no shame in hiding it. I think this is a good point in our, our podcast to get into something that you wanted to talk about. And that was, I put on my reading glasses here. I, that was the correlation of mental health and substance abuse and 
So you are suppressing your dark feelings, okay? So you're not talking about those feelings. And yet, like you said, it doesn't dissipate. It's still there. Do you find that because of that, more and more people will turn to, well, say, drugs or booze to even yeah. suppress those feelings more? I, I tell people all the time, like, I cannot, as a therapist, no skill I teach them will ever compete and work as quickly as drugs and alcohol. There's just nothing. I, you know, mindfulness, you know, screw off with your mindfulness. I'm going to go get loaded because yeah. that works and because I know it works. And, and it's, it's easy. And it's easy. It's a quick fix. And it's accessible. That's right. And it's instant. Yeah. So that's what we're competing against as therapists to try to help people make change. And so that's why the readiness for change is so important because you have to be ready to resist or to deal with the resistance of what you know works but isn't really working anymore versus trying to learn totally new different ways to cope for the first time. I've met people in their 50s, 60s that are feeling for the first time in their lives because they have always chosen to do something that would make the feelings go away or they wouldn't have to sit with all of the feelings. So you have to be like when you go into that situation of trying to make change, you have to armor up for battle because it's not an easy road. And and you, you make a little bit of change and then you might back off because you go, okay, that's, that's all I can tolerate right now. And there's sometimes that I'll tell clients, we need to take a break. You've been in therapy for a while. We need to allow, you know, we'll allow shit to settle. Yeah. Right? What, and I think that's something you and I talked about when when I when I was coming to you and and pouring my heart out to you and I was using up your Kleenox Kleenox boxes <laughs> faster than you know than we I we have stock and Kleenox. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it does take a lot of hard work, but I mean anything good does does take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen in the last few years? Have you seen a lot more? people suffering from substance abuse because of mental health issues, because whether it's directly or indirectly revolved of what 2020 was, has your workload increased, I guess? Um, Yes. (laughs) How do you cope? How do you, how do you keep your bucket full? Well, I just came off of a, a, like a two week break (laughs) because my own therapist and doctor were like, you either need to do this or we're going to have a bigger problem. And so you know, I've always sort of prided myself on, you know, I have no problem going to therapy. I go to therapy off and on pretty much my whole life and at different points. Do you think there was a stigma about people going to therapy in that, you know, if I talk to somebody, that means I'm weak and it couldn't be further from the truth. I, I, could it? Oh, no, gosh, no. It's such a, you know, a badge of courage yeah. to go face your stuff. Right. Do you think that was a stigma for a long time? Do you think it do you think it still is? Because it comes down to communicating and expressing how you feel, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Do you think in part that's where that stereotype came from? I think, you know, from? this is, I think it's no, you know, it's not rocket science that it's still a stigma for many men. We've had a huge push for men and supporting men's mental health and accessing supports in the community here in the last little while. Um, and, and you know what? They're coming. We, we have daily, we get phone calls to our office of people, men, trying to access mental health services. So it, the message is working, but we have another problem now. Capacity. Uh, capacity, yeah. And so, you know, I, I work a 40-hour work week, but I can't see 40 clients in that, app, that work week. Right. And, yeah. and after four or five clients a day, I'm crispy. 
And then I got to pull myself together and go home. And, and, you know, I'm a single parent of three kids running our own business. Like, you know, and they're busy and we've got things that we do as a family. But so <clears throat> some of the things that I was doing to care for myself because of COVID, I wasn't able to do. Um, and so then trying to do it all. And then there's no separation between home and work because I was doing video sessions from home because I was trying to teach an elementary, junior high wow. and high school student. Um doing online schooling while I'm trying to work in between clients, trying to feed them, you know, it's overwhelming. Um, but what I've been able to resume is making some changes in the number of clients I see. I can't see everybody who has, who, who contacts me for a referral. I also have to be really careful about the combination of the types of cases I'm working on um, because I can't see all of one type because I get burnt out really quickly. And every therapist feels this, but not every therapist talks about it. And that's okay because they're at different places. Sure. Um, but with myself being at the collective, Lord, my phone is blowing up. Um, <laughs> it's your being, agent. <laughs> yeah. With myself being at the collective, we've got, you know, eight other clinicians and we're all, you know, yesterday we were all sort of joking. We're sitting in a room together just talking and like three or four of us that had therapy this week, you know? So it's like, it's really cool because we're all like, yeah, I saw my therapist, you know? And I joke with my clients, you know, your grand therapist tells me. <laughs> um, and so it's a cool dynamic, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to lead by example and I'm not a psychologist by any coincidence, but I think, you know, these guys tell their story to people that they interact with, whereas most people don't know my story. And, and that's okay, but I'm not always comfortable sharing every aspect of my story. I often just say, well, but I'm not a psychologist by any coincidence. I didn't. I, I've always wondered about that after pouring my heart out to you, like so many do. I'm wondering, well, how does, how does Anna cope with that? Because I've just, you know, laid out all of my issues. That's a you. really interesting dynamic because you sort of come in and you give me all this stuff, but you don't really get much in return from me on a personal level. So it's an interesting dynamic right hmm. but the I, but the other piece is i've had several people call me in the last little while going are you okay how are you doing that's something that we always ask here mm -hmm. on the uh, darkness to life podcast so and we haven't we haven't asked anna that yet and i didn't forget so how are you i'm actually really good right now like i said i just came off with some time it allowed me to rest i think i i ended up getting on a, a quarantine <laughs> That's a whole other story another day. But, um, you know, I was pretty irritated at first. And then I realized this is a blessing in disguise. I didn't step outside my house for, se you know, seven days for sure. Yeah. Um, it was during that really cold time. So I was good with that. Um, it was brutal. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, stayed in my bed, ate food in my bed, worked in my bed. Like, it was nice. It was. <laughs> so I came back fiery this week. <laughs> Well, and it, look, it looks like, I mean, I haven't seen you in a long time, but you look fired up. I, I mean, you feel fired up. You feel rested. You can really, you know, feel that energy. Yeah. All right. I, I always uh, Two weeks ago, this would have been probably not so fun. No? <laughs> I was I was not in a good place. But, but like anything, I, I mean, like Rick, you said, Damien, you said your priorities are to look after your family. But I mean, you can't look after your family unless you look after yourself first. And, and Anna, that rings true with you. You can't you help those that need help if you don't help yourself first. That's right. That's right. And, and so in everything that we do, I think we need to, and there's a, a misconception that our priorities are to put our family first. So it's not selfish 
to say, no, 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 to look after my family. I have to put me first. I got to put my needs first. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. That's a, that's an okay. That's, that's, that's an okay absolutely. attitude to have. Yeah, you're you're more likable when you've taken care of yourself. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy you when you. I'm happy you didn't stop at. Oh, you're more likable. <laughs> <laughs> Just there. Well, so, so thank you for for finishing that thought. Clarifying. I, yeah, I I appreciate that. So yeah. I like I personally struggle with the self care model. I guess that I know. You know, professionals. We're we're some unprofessional guys that have kind of stepped onto the edge of professional people, right? And and you know, no no disrespect at all. It's remarkable what you guys do, and 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 I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some professionals. But for me, um, like I I do recognize the importance of self care, but my self care is has a direct correlation with helping other people. I if. You know, uh, I have those dark days, right? I have all of that. Something, somebody can say something, and immediately I turn it into, I had this negative impact on this person. I'm a piece of shit, and they're having a bad day as a result of me, right? And the only tried and true method I have of getting myself out of that is to go support somebody else, is to go listen to somebody else, be there for somebody else, find somebody to help. So it's this weird dynamic for like my self care is external. Like I've talked to people that, you know, a bubble bath and, and a glass of wine is their solution. And to them, cool. If that's what it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. To me, you put me in a bathtub with a bottle of wine. I'm not getting out of that tub. Like I'm, that'll be the end of me Mm -hmm. lost in my own head is a dangerous place for me to be. Right. Okay. I want to, I want to paint a picture here. How tall are you? Six two, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't fit in many bathtubs. No, that's where this is going. So, <laughs> six two, he's covered in tattoos. He's got a, he's got a hairy face. So, just picture Rick <laughs> naked <laughs> in one of those little apartment <laughs> bathtubs. Yeah. OCJ calendar, <laughs> Mr. October <laughs> and November. <laughs> Need a couple pages. Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah, right. like yeah. self-care, you know, it really has gotten a bad rap the last little while because, it, you know, it's interesting that he brings up that his self-care is providing support and care to others. And and that's a legitimate way of, of having self-care because it gets you outside of yourself. If you're in yourself too much, that's problematic for many people. So, um you know, a lot of times in a particular type of therapy that we often use called dialectical behavioral therapy, we will recommend that people volunteer um, so that they're serving other people and they get out of this sort of pit that they're in emotionally about themselves. Because depression is often is about ourselves mm-hmm. and, and about the past and about things we can't change. So volunteering or serving others is a really good way to pull you out of yourself. And so that makes total sense to me. Yeah, that's the only tried and true method I have. Like, and, you know, much like Damien, right? I mean, I've done a lot of work from where I was. I'm in a whole lot better place, but I still get really dark really quickly. And it can come seemingly out of nowhere. And it's all bang, this loop, right? But I certainly don't stay there as long anymore, right? And, And part of it, you know, I think, like the awareness of it is a bit of a double-edged sword. 
because you can really kick the shit out of, or at least I can really kick the shit out of myself for even going there in the first place when I know better and I know what it is and I know what the solution is. But I still end up there sometimes, right? And it gets it like really pisses me off. And I can get I can get angry about being angry. I can get frustrated about being frustrated. But I get out of it quicker, right? I, I don't, you know, my one or two days isn't six or eight months or a year. It, I can come out the other side a lot quicker. And and nine times out of ten, it's it's finding somebody else talking to somebody else getting out of my own head because that's where my my shit lies between my ears right and knowing that you've made a difference in somebody's life doesn't that make you feel better about your life at times when i'm out of it and when i'm in it it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter at all yeah and that's like the the insaneness of my addict alcoholic brain is that it comes back and it's looking for a chink in my armor and it will, it won't let me see all the good I've done in my life. And it's just like, I'm still here. Do it, do it. It's like, Oh man. And what I've found is balance. You know, I need to eat properly. I need to put food in my body. That's going to fuel me properly. I need to make time for my family, like schedule, not schedule it, but when I'm in those moments, I'm a hundred percent present. Yeah. And then the third piece for me is like physical activity to make me, f my body feel better. Right. When I don't have balance, everything's just kind of out of flux. Right. And, and it's progress, not perfection. Some days I'm very, very on point. Some days I'm not. And I think that's where I'm playing today is being okay with those not days, you know, not going to that, spot where I'm taking hammers yeah. out and just banging myself on the head. Constantly beating yourself yeah. up. Yeah. And I think that's the growth of me as a human being is that I have this awareness today and, you know, ignorance isn't bliss. You know, I'm glad I'm aware because being over here and being unaware was so much more painful, right? Yeah. Avoiding the elephant in the room. If if you say, Don, how, import, how important is physical participation in, in a good diet to good mental health would you say this is something that maybe a lot of us don't take nearly seriously enough yeah and and i think that there's this sort of perception that um you know if you just drink your water and get your sleep and get do your exercise that your depression won't be there which is not true but what we do know is that if you have depression and you don't do those things your depression will be worse so you still have to do some things to try to help yourself um and not everybody is invested in medication. Not everybody is, um, you know, wants to do therapy. Some people only want to do medication and not therapy. And so, you know, you sort of have to find the right combination. And like I think you said earlier, Damien, that, um, you know, every single interaction with a, either a treatment provider or a treatment program or something, every single one of them left you with something but you may not have been able to do anything with it at the time, but over time, as your experiences evolved, as your knowledge evolved, as your self-awareness evolved, then you were able to start to utilize some of those things. We don't just deal with something once in our life. We don't just deal with the box and then put it up on the shelf and it's resolved. That's not how it works. Yeah. It comes back around and new circumstances come back around. And so we have to take the box back down go through the box again, figure out what do we know differently about it, and then we can put it back on the shelf. And sometimes that takes a long time, and sometimes it's very quick. That, that was a huge tool 
that you taught me mm-hmm. that you know it's okay to take that that box that luggage all that weight and put it up on the shelf but then you taught me you can't leave it up there Mm-hmm. You know, you have to examine it every once in a while. And I think, Damien, this is what you do. And I think, Rick, this is what you do. And I'd like to think this is what I do. And anybody that has mental health issues is that you can't dwell on those feelings. But at the same time, you you have to be very mindful. You have to be very aware of those feelings. Otherwise, it could suck you into that right. deep, dark hole. Um I wanted to go back to how you said that you and and everybody in your field, in your industry, there's a bigger workload. There's a bigger caseload. So what do you do if you can't find somebody to talk to? I mean, mean, maybe, or Rick and Damien, this is an amazing example. You guys, well, our collective journey. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a growing group of men and and women and kids that are, are pulling together and leaning on each other. So how important is, is, is that just to speak with somebody, anybody that's right. willing to listen? So anytime someone um, phones our office, at least, and, and I think it's the same way in several other offices, um, uh, every single person that calls us will get an intake and where, or they have the option to, um, if they'd like. And so even if we don't connect them with someone in our office, we may connect them with someone outside of our office. And I want to stop you right there. Sure. What do you, what do you mean by, by, Intake. So, when so, what would that entail? So, someone would phone the office, and um, you know, usually they have someone in mind that they're trying to get in to see for therapy. Okay. Um, and if that person's not taking clients, then we will often ask them. We can do an intake and then help you find the person that's a, uh, that may be a good fit for you. Because okay. one misconception about therapists is that we all do the same things, and we don't. And so, sometimes people will call my office and try to get in with me. But I don't actually specialize in the treatment or I don't have any training in the treatment that Mm -hmm. they want. So we will refer them to the people that we do know. That's one way of getting connected. There's also, though, um, a lot of sort of like distress numbers for emergencies, because as we know, you know, psychological emergencies don't occur between nine to five. Um, no, so. no. <laughs> yeah, and these guys can attest to yeah, that. Yeah. My <laughs> darkest moments were usually like four a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the three, most inopportune yeah, time. Yeah. Three, yeah. three weeks on, two weeks off. Right. 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 I mean, it doesn't exactly. work. That, doesn't work that, that doesn't way. work that way. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and fortunately, unfortunately, um, you know, because of the mental health crisis that um, pretty much we're experiencing everywhere in the world. Uh, because of COVID and, you know, various situations, um, you know, unemployment, housing issues, um, accessibility to, to money that then sometimes leads to addictions being um, facilitated. So um, we try to connect with people or when someone calls our office. If we cannot connect them to a therapist in office, we'll connect them to someone in the community, but not sometimes the person doesn't need therapy. Sometimes they need crisis management. Sometimes they need, you know, one of these guys because they're just not ready to do the therapy piece. And these guys. Being, uh, you know, our collective journey yeah. or the and, community programs. And mm-hmm. these guys, I mean, if you, I mean, they will be there. I see it all Oh, the I know time. because they all were the two weeks ago when the therapist did not go. Because frankly, we, we aren't a crisis management service and there was a crisis in our community. Yeah. And, um, 
the usual phone calls came in. We need your help. We need to do this. We need to get this happening. We need to look at these people that are not well. This has happened. What do we do? And the, you know, the private practitioners had to stand united on, we are not going to do what we did last summer. And we have to show that there's a need in our community by leaving that space. But then these guys stepped up and went into that situation in, in place of that. And we are grateful, but I think we had a conversation the other day that how helpful is that when sometimes people aren't ready? They're, they're, they're too destabilized. There's too much crisis, you know, and the reality is, is um, they've been involved in so many cases in our community that the community knows them and they know they're there. And we had a very frank conversation just a couple nights ago about readiness. We have to meet people where they are and we can't push anything further and sometimes that means watching people fall really hard before we can do something. Do you think the system's broken? I am probably the least favored psychologist in the community. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, would, I will say the system is not functioning in a way that we need it to. It, it, and it, I will also say that it has improved. And I will also say that as of late, we are going to be getting some really great community resources in response to what our gaps have been, but we can do a heck of a lot better. I, I will follow that up with, a, again, unlike some problems, there isn't any one answer, right? right? And I think that's a huge, a huge concern of, of why we need to work on this and so that we can find answers for, for everybody. And, and I think that's kind of how our collective journey came to be was, you know, we're not the be all and end all answer for everything, but what we're found and what I think other organizations are experiencing is they are quite siloed, right? And they're doing an amazing job with the resources they have available to them. And we're here to ask, how can we help you? Right. And penetrate those silos so that people can get to where they need to be because there isn't one solution for everybody, but we're going to show up and we're going to walk with you to wherever you're at. And I think we're at a point in some aspects where for me, the velvet glove approach isn't applicable anymore. I'm going to tell you with love and kindness, exactly what the fuck is going on because I'd rather step on your toes and have you angry at me today than step on your grave in a week's time or a month's time. What's going on? has to stop right but that has to stop for you you have to figure out that this isn't where you want to go and then when you have the courage to reach through or to step in that shadow of that doorway the people that are you're asking for help have to be honest enough to say well hey maybe i can't help you with this but here let's talk to these guys let's reach out to the other silos and get you what you need so that you can create the life that you deserve yeah, uh, yeah. go ahead rick well i you know, when I look back, you know, over the last two weeks, the last six months, um, you know, I, and I think we talked about this in our, you know, pre-podcast meeting. Um, I know that whatever, whatever issues I had, be it depression, ADHD, like I was diagnosed with a whole bunch of things. Um, for me, I didn't have a chance in dealing with any of those, like you said, when you when I was competing with drugs and alcohol. Right. So I think that's, that's primarily, I think where, you know, we, we've recognized this gap, this time gap of, of capacity, right? So there's, 
like I know I've gone in and asked for help and they said, yeah, here's your appointment eight weeks from now. Right. And for a guy like me, that eight weeks could literally be life and death. Right. It could be seven weeks too late. For sure. Seven weeks and six days too late. For sure. Especially while my only coping mechanism is drugs and alcohol, which just further worsens the depression, worsens, worsens the same shame, the guilt, you know, it just magnifies all of those negative things. So I think that's, you know, I don't want to speak for Damien, but you know, that's one of the things that I try to really emphasize with people reaching out, you know, if we are, if we are there to bridge that gap during that time, let's try to help you. If by nothing else telling you that, you know, you can cope with these things without booze and drugs, we can be that example to you, but then still navigate you even at times covertly. Like I, I, uh, kind of say it tongue in cheek. Sometimes we've, we've had to open like back channels to some of these agencies because the, you know, you you can get lost in the shuffle and lost in the system. And unless you've got a really strong connected advocate for you, you're just a piece of your name on a piece of paper that they'll get to you when they get to you. Right. And it's a huge advantage to be able to have somebody make a direct call to somebody who can actually do something and say, Hey, I got this guy. Can you, can you make time for him? And, and a lot of times the answer is no. And that's just the reality of it. Cause I mean, nobody can go 24 seven, but a lot of times it'll be like, no, I can't, but Hey, here's this person. Here's this person. Or like you said, I'm not even the right person for that. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Let me pass you off to this other colleague. But, but if we expect people to do that on their own, oh. it won't happen. It's, it's too frustrating when you're at that level of desperation, you, you don't have the energy to make five, six, seven, eight phone calls and tell your story five, six, seven, eight times. So, um, you know, if they if if someone needs to just consult and say this is a situation and he can consult with someone through a back channel that saves that person, because what we know about storytelling is it triggers you. So if you're not equipped to deal with your story yet, then every time you tell your story, you just get triggered over and over and over. And so if they can tell Rick that story once and Rick goes, OK, I can help you get the get connected to where you need to be. And listen and, and, and listen. Yeah, right? All he did is listen. Yeah. You know, be, be, absolutely. Because you're right. You, you tell your story again and again and again, and you're looking for help and you're putting yourself out there and you don't get the help. We all have our limit and we know what the end result is, don't we? And, well, un- and unfortunately we see it way too often. Well, right? a lot of times too, if you're in, if you're in that dark hole, you feel like you're a burden, right? Like I know, I know I, when I was at my absolute darkest, I was completely justified in taking my life because I truly was convinced that I was a burden on the people around me. Now, if I'm in a position that I'm to the point that I'm thinking about taking my own life because I'm a burden and I phone somebody and they're like, I can't help you. I'm too busy. That just validates that belief. You're right. I am a burden, (laughs) right? And like now I've done what I was supposed to do. I've done what all of the billboards and all of the conversation, you know, reach out, look, I've done that. Right. And now I'm even more justified in taking the action that I think is the only solution because you've just, yeah, you've just reiterated to me that, yes, I am a burden, not only to my family and the people that love me and my friends, but to the system. Right. You know, and you know what is accessible. So you have those thoughts. So you give up on, on seeking help. So what do you do? Well, in, in my case, I turned to booze. All right. That only worked for a little while. What did, where did booze lead us? Drugs. Mm-hmm. Where did drugs lead me? Heavier drugs. 
until I failed at trying to kill myself. So here's a question, and, and I don't know if there's an answer. And so I ask all three of you, we have more people coming forward. We have more people sharing their feelings. Yet suicide rates continue to climb. Why? I'm not saying that there needs to be an answer. I, I don't know. Everybody's if, looking at I, each I, other. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if there is an answer. And that's terrifying, isn't it? And so, huh. yes. So, yes, they are. But how many people haven't? Yeah. yeah how do you, how yes. do you measure yeah. that? That haven't said, you know what, Damien? Because you showed up six years ago at my recovery center, I'm still alive. Because you were vulnerable, I'm still alive. How many have we prevented? I don't know. This all started because we were focused on some people that are so dear to our hearts. And we kind of might have lost the ability to see big picture at certain points and say, we're helping people and we're on the front lines and we're going to keep going and we might not always see the results, but just knowing that there is a ripple effect of love and hope and positivity is what kind of propels us forward. And Rick said to me the other day, he's like, nobody said this was going to be fucking easy, right? But it definitely is worth it, right? And I think the one thing, talking about our feelings is perfect. But Anna said it, I've said it, Rick said it. You have to take action, you know? I can't just sit in those feelings and just blah here poncho here's my shit and hope to get better yeah for the moment i feel better but if i want truly want relief from whatever is going on with me i have to take action and i have to do something and it's going to get uncomfortable for me but when i do that i grow and, and action speak louder than words I, I came here today to the studios with a, a surprise i had my um ducks cleaned yesterday and I was speaking with a couple of the, the gentlemen that were <clears throat> looking after things. And they didn't know that I was a part of this podcast. We ended up talking about mental health. And they ended up saying that they've been frequenting the OCJ Facebook page a lot because it's been helping them a lot. And they've been listening to our podcasts because they find at the bare minimum, I think he said, I find a lot of inspiration. I find a lot of courage and I, I find a lot of bravery in the stories that I'm hearing and the stories that I'm reading. And, and so on again, and I know we've talked about it several times already, this podcast, but I, th I think it needs to be reiterated just how important conversation is, communication is to positive mental health. Would mm -hmm. you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, because, it, you know, sometimes you don't actually need to do anything. You just need to know that you can talk about it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, action and doers, um, you know. I would say I'm, I'm a doer. I like to do things to try to make things better. But um, that's not what everybody wants. Sometimes they just want to know that they can talk about it and you're not going to treat them differently and you're not going to, um, you know, spew. It, it's hard for me. I'm a therapist. I'm always looking at how people behave and, and what they do and, you know, what they could be feeling. So I think sometimes it's easier for people to talk to me because they know that's what I do. Um but I have to remember that just because they're talking to me doesn't mean they want to do anything about it. 
and and again, so this goes back to what's what's their goal? What do they want to come out of this? And so, um, you know, I think these guys, what I really appreciate about um, this group is that they take feedback. You know, they're not trying to solve everybody's problems by themselves. They're they're working with other clinicians. They're working with systems. They're working, um, you know, they take trainings to try to understand things better. Uh, I've never... You know, I'm, the therapist in me occasionally will send a message to Damien. You guys should look at the community helpers program. Mm-hmm. Check that out. You know, and he's like, all right, we're on it. You know, like he never pushes back. He's not. He goes, you know, going back to that silo language. He's not. These guys are not trying to work in a silo. They're trying to work together. And and although they have some strengths that as therapists, we can't do certain things. They can do them. But they're also not therapists and they they understand that and they see the benefit of working collaboratively with other people and um as a therapist that is very um uh what's the word um hopefully it's positive yeah yeah. (laughs) it is it's 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 calming you know because i know that if if i think that there's something potentially going wrong I can I can talk with them about that and have that conversation. You know, as therapists, we are bound by so many standards of practice and ethics and that sort of thing. And and those meant those things are meant to protect the public, yeah, not us. And so, but they can be protective of us too. And so, you know, I can't just jump into an online group with people talking about how much they want to harm themselves because there's liability there for myself. Sure. So I don't join those kinds of groups. Um, I share a lot of stuff on my my personal page about you know just things that strike me what i'm seeing in the community what i'm seeing in the populations that i work with but it's so important for these guys to be able to um, provide a service that we cannot as professional clinicians but it's also important that they are open to receiving feedback and guidance and support from us too that they're not claiming to do psychotherapy on the side in the corner of an office and they have no legal um, ramifications if they do things that are inappropriate not that i think you guys are uh, i just want to clarify but I, I think, well <laughs> our collective journey has is not just a a missing piece of a, of a big puzzle our collective journey has become a conduit I think in that's the perfect word allowing yeah, a conduit. all these different organizations to come together for one goal. What's that goal to live a good life, to live a healthy life, to live a positive life. Anna, do you have any final words? I feel like we could talk all day. I know. <laughs> yeah, me too. I know. I feel like we haven't touched on anything and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, as we're talking, like the more I interact with Anna, the more, you know, I get to build a relationship with her it takes me back to that first meeting in your office and that, that awkward pause that we had when it was like, I'm abstinence, I'm harm reduction. And it was literally, it was like a pause. Yeah. Like, it was, a, it was a pause. A of silence. Like, Fuck, what do we do now? And I truly remember like my, I had to put my ego in check, which my ego is in check is like, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. And I'm like, no, the cause is helping people. Right. And how do we, put ourselves aside for the betterment of those out there that are suffering. And, and that's what the really unique thing about where we're at with all of this is every time we're, I'm talking to Anna, she's saying a lot of the things that come out of my big book and my big book from Alcoholics Anonymous aren't unique principles just to 
the Fellowship of Twelve Step. They're universal truths that have been put into a book that a dummy like me can understand. And she's speaking the exact same language, like literally verbatim, as what some of the stuff is that I utilize on a daily basis, right? So we're pushing in the same direction. But if we would have gotten caught up on harm reduction versus abstinence, we would not have even been able to determine that we were actually speaking the same language and have the same goals. And this is what's wrong, I think, right now with how our society is functioning is that if you're not with me, you're against me. Hmm. But we don't have conversations far enough to determine if we're actually on the same page. We just call it something different. And just because I'm a harm reductionist does not believe does not mean that I don't believe in abstinence. I only believe in abstinence if that's what works for that person. And so they decide that, not me. And so a harm reductionist says that any door is the right door. Whatever you want to quit doing, whatever you want to keep doing, we work and we work and we work until you're at the point where you feel comfortable in your life is what you want it to be. And for many people that start as harm reduction, abstinence is the end goal. But they don't know that initially. Initially, they go, no, no. I only want to do this. And over time, that change process leads to abstinence. So I'm not anti-abstinence. But if we would have just gone caught up on those two labels, because we did there, we had a hiccup. We literally were just like zoned out and blanked out. We're like, okay. Just stared at each other. We just did. Now what? (laughs) You know, he's thinking, well, I asked for this meeting and I'm thinking, well, I let him in my office. (laughs) So... Well, how are we going to try to be nice through this? <laughs> I, and I'm not saying there was any of this going on when when you had your meeting. Um, how big of a barrier is ego? Oh, in terms of finding positive <laughs> the biggest, mental health, it, it is the barrier. Yeah, it, it's it's the thing that builds up in me that tells me I got this and I quit doing what I need to do to get and stay sober. And it's also the piece that tells me I'm a piece of shit and I'm garbage and that I should just end my life. So I always thought ego was this arrogant Hmm. thing, but it's also that other piece, which is like self-defeating, selfish, self-centered, driven by a hundred forms of fear that wants me dead, but will settle for me drunk. (laughs) So do you think there's a fine line between ego and confidence and assertiveness? I think confidence and assertiveness are skills. But ego is something we have to learn to exist with. Yeah. Right. And we talk so much about, especially, you know, meditation and mindfulness, you know, getting rid of your ego and self-compassion is about, you know, having compassion for yourself. And ego is an imperative part to our humanity. But if you don't know how to how to dance with your ego, then there's going to be problems. There's going to be collisions, right? There's or even recognize steps. what it is. Recognizing. Because like, that's, that's a arrogance. huge thing for that's me, good right? Point. Is, that's a good point. Is my ego, like Damien said, right? Uh, like in t- until I got to where I am now, I didn't know that, you know, I, I thought ego was, a, was that arrogance, right? I thought it was only on the extreme of the positive scale. I didn't realize that. It was the same, that's the same voice that's talking to me, telling me I'm a piece of shit, just the other end of the spectrum, right? So it wasn't until I could acknowledge what that voice was that it became, you know, it, that's where the awareness piece came in, right? It's like, oh, oh, I, now I can recognize that and be like, oh, I, I know what that is. And I can, I can put them away and I can be like, no, nope, I'm not listening to you because you're lying to me, right? Mm-hmm. I know I know with what I suffer from, I can't necessarily trust my ego. 
at all ever. And I mean, I bet you I call, I call somebody three or four times a day to run a thought I had by him and tell, and it's like, I need you to be the devil's advocate. What's my ego doing here? Right. And, and I'm in a much better place that at least three quarters of those calls are like, no, you're good, man. <laughs> I get the quarter better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I've got people that I trust and love me enough to go, no, nah, dude, you're yeah. being an asshole. Well, right. And it's like, okay, thanks. And I don't get offended by that right. because I know how manipulative my own ego can be to my mind. Yeah. And, and being, you know, I would say within, you know, this context that we're, we're healers, so to speak. Right. And if you identify yourself as a healer, your ego will run with that. And so hmm. the idea of healing, I, I am a firm believer that I am not the healer. You are the healer. Yeah. But we have to work together to help you learn to access that. I don't heal anyone. But people come to me as the healer. And it's got to be on it. And I have to see her for therapy. And I have to do this. And the conversation I have with them is that I am not going to heal you you are going to heal you but i'm here to build you up enough to believe that that's possible so you're a perfect example right now of, of you know replacing ego with humility mm -hmm. <laughs> and everything she just said is again in, in my book <laughs> which is yeah I, I went to a lot of 12-step meetings dumping my shit on you going to therapists going to counselors going to rehab which was fix me mm -hmm. right yeah. fix me or sign my victim card so i can get back out there Mm -hmm. And instead, what the what people that had learned what a spiritual, fulfilling life looked like said, here, we'll show you. Now you do the actions. Now I have that choice. Uh, do them or don't do them. But if I want what you have, I'm going to do what you did. Because on the other side of that, I see thriving people who aren't afraid of those ups and downs that now have this, the skill set, the tools in their toolbox to be aware and then go back out and do, you know, do them. Um, it, it's amazing. Every time we talk, like it's like that conduit piece is what I'm playing with now. Like how do we continue on with that conduit and just keep bringing more people, educating them on, on what we were and then where they can go, which is anywhere, whatever your dreams are, let us work with you to support that plan so that you can take action and get those dreams. Would, would you join us again? Absolutely. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would really, really, really enjoy that. You provided so much insight and you've given me so many more questions that I want to ask. I guess we're going to have to title this volume one. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> Episode one, chapter one. Yeah. Chapter 1.2. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how... You know, the universe conspires to support us in whatever we're, we're doing. And whatever way I was running before, I was running a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. And, and who was following me? You know, I didn't realize people were, were following what they were. But now that I'm running in this direction with love and hope and light in my life, you know, we build a relationship with Anna. And, and you know, hopefully people hear what we're talking about and, and are inspired like the guys, the duct guys. And they're taking that into their families. And again, it is that ripple effect of, yeah. we don't always see who we're helping, but we know we're doing it. You know, I don't have to get that validation today to build myself up. I just know if I keep showing up on a daily basis, putting my suit of armor on and just going out into the world, actually, you know what? No, taking that suit of armor off 
because that's what kept me trapped. If I just go out as me, that's enough, right? And people are going to join them. They're going to, they're going to invite themselves along for the ride. And we just get to walk with them. Like Anna said, you know, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to heal you, but I'll walk with you while you do it. Damien, thank you so much. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. Anna, thank you so much. Mm, thank you. Um, if ego ever is an issue, and I know it's something I struggle with, you're more than welcome to um, join my radio show. And I know some of our listeners will put, you know, egos in check almost instantly, immediately. <laughs> you know, and, and again, that's that's not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing at all. Uh, thank you so, so much. Uh, my name is Poncho, and thank you for being a part of our Lightest from Darkness to Life OCJ podcast on the Plugged In Media Network. I think I finally got it right. (laughs) From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at pymedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.